Well, I heard the story of a lady who had gone to the store to, to purchase some grape juice. Her church was going to be observing communion, and she was picking up the grape juice. And she told her daughter, Sarah, she said, Honey, do not get the grape juice out of the refrigerator because that's for the Lord's Supper. Well, later, Sarah's older brother, Jonathan, got home. And what did he do? As soon as he got home, he headed to the refrigerator. He was reaching for that grape juice, and Sarah scolded him and said, Leave the grape juice alone. Mom said it's for God's lunch. Now, it's a silly story, but it brings us to a really important issue. It brings us to the issue of the Lord's Supper. Why, why do we do the Lord's Supper? What is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? These are questions that we're going to think about this morning. How do we observe the Lord's Supper in such a way that, that Christ is truly honored and glorified? We'll look in 1 Corinthians 11 as we think about these questions together. Now, the church at Corinth was a church that was filled with a lot of problems. When believers gathered together for communion at Corinth, they also had a dinner. So they would, they would gather together and eat. They called these agape feasts or love feasts. And then after that meal, they would observe the, the Lord's Supper together. And these Agape feasts were supposed to be a demonstration of the church's love for one another. They were meant to unify the church, but not in Corinth. No, in Corinth, these mills became an occasion for division within the church. As you look in 1 Corinthians 11, we won't read all of this this morning. You can look at it on your own. In the verses prior to the ones that we'll be looking at, apparently there were some folks there who had a lot of money, a lot of wealth. And to these mills, they would bring a lot of food. They would bring plenty. And I guess having brought plenty, they felt that it was their right to take plenty. And so they would eat and eat and eat. And apparently those who, who had less means, perhaps those who brought almost nothing or nothing at all because of, of poverty, they were walking away from these love feasts without having been able to eat with, with hunger still. And so Paul says, some of you are going to these mills and you're acting like gluttons. Some of you are even getting drunk at your church's uh, love feast. This is supposed to be a demonstration of your love for one another. Now, that reminds me, have you ever seen anyone who is always first at the church potluck? Oh, I better leave that one alone, hadn't I? <laughs> Let's look in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Somebody's wife is elbowing him and say, see, people notice. <laughs> I'm just teasing. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often of you, as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats 
and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. This text teaches that the church is called to honor Christ through the Lord's Supper. The church, as a family, is called to honor Christ through the Lord's Supper. How do we honor Christ through the Lord's Supper? Well, let's look in verses 23 through 26 as we think about this question. How do we honor Christ as we take the Lord's Supper? In verse 23, Paul is teaching the Corinthians what he has received. He says from the Lord, probably he's received this teaching Through the apostles, the apostles probably told Paul about observing the the Last Supper together with Jesus and the institution of the Passover meal. At any rate, what we can know for sure is that Paul isn't giving something novel or new. He is teaching what he has received. So Paul presents the scene from the upper room. This was the meal that Jesus had with his disciples the night before his death. They were observing the Passover meal. The Passover meal, of course, was a commemoration of God's rescue of his people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And so they were observing this meal together. And at the meal, Jesus gave thanks and he took bread. You know, the bread was, was unleavened in the celebration of the Passover. And so he breaks this bread into pieces and, and he hands it to his disciples. And he says to them, this bread is my body. Now, we understand that he didn't mean that the bread was literally like his flesh. He's meaning this in a symbolic manner. There are those who who have become confused on this. And because of that, the Lord's Supper takes on meanings that Scripture never never meant for it to have. But, But here the bread is meant to symbolize the fact that Christ sacrificed his flesh for his disciples. He gave his very body for their redemption. For their rescue from the bondage of of the slavery of sin. He told his disciples that this was for them. Why? Because it was their rescue from sin. His body would be nailed to a cross. Sacrificed that they might be redeemed. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, remember the Passover meal was a commemoration of, of God's rescue of his people. And now Jesus is instituting among his followers a meal that will commemorate his sacrifice, his death. In verse 25, after they had eaten the Passover meal, Jesus took the cup. And he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Well, in Exodus 24, 8, Moses took the blood of bulls, and he sprinkled it on the people. And it was a part of the ratification of the old covenant. But the, the people of God in the times past looked forward to a, to a time when God would do a new work, when he would bring a new covenant. In fact, Jeremiah 31, 31 says this, speaks of a new covenant that God would bring. And so now Jesus' own blood would be the blood that ratifies this new covenant. Whereas in the old covenant, year after year, animals had to be sacrificed. Blood had to be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Now Christ's blood would once and for all ratify this new covenant. But the Lord's Supper would commemorate 
this beautiful sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. On the cross, Jesus would pour out his very blood and give his life Give his life up for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus told his disciples, drink this cup and do it in remembrance of me. In verse 26, he says, when you observe the Lord's Supper, you proclaim my death and you proclaim my return. So when were his followers to observe the Lord's Supper? Well, until the time that he returns. And that's why believers for 2,000 years have been gathering together and doing just what we'll do this morning. Because until he returns, we're going to continue to remember his sacrifice and his death. The Lord's Supper points to his death on the cross. But not only that, the Lord's Supper reminds us of his return. What does his return mean? It means that though he would die, He wouldn't stay dead. He would come back to life. He would conquer sin. He he would go back to heaven. And then one day, he says, I'm going to return. And when I come back, I'm going to set things right. So there was a, a terrible Friday that Jesus would be nailed to a cross. But that wasn't the end of the story. So as we observe the Lord's Supper, we remember that he's coming again. And he's going to make things right. All this suffering, all this horror that we know here on earth it's going to be undone when he returns he's going to make things beautiful and right so how do we honor christ as we take the lord's supper well as we reflect on verses 23 through 26 we focus on christ's sacrifice and his death we focus on christ's sacrifice and his death if you go to the arlington national cemetery to the tomb of the unknown soldier When you go there, you won't find a lot of hooping and hollering and loud laughter. You won't find that at all. Because this monument honors service members who died but whose remains are unidentified. And it demands respect and honor. In fact, a sentinel is posted there on guard. And part of this sentinel's responsibility is to make sure that when people come to the tomb of the unknown soldier, there's respect and there's honor. Why? Because these soldiers gave their very life. Gave their very life. And that's what this monument represents. That's what this monument reminds us of. And when we observe the Lord's Supper, that bread, that cup, it reminds us of the death of the Lord Jesus. The brutal death of our Savior. No, we never take the Lord's Supper haphazardly. We reflect on the great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. So focus on the price that he paid. Focus on his death, on his blood, on his suffering. Focus on his resurrection and his return. This isn't some story. This isn't some myth or fable. Friends, Jesus really died. He really gave his life. He was buried and he came back to life. We remember those events that happened in history. And we celebrate what that death means for us today. So reflect on that sacrifice. Reflect on that amazing love. But not only that, focus on the promise that one day Jesus will return 
And when he comes in glory, as we said a moment ago, he's going to set things right, suffering and agony. Well, they will have met their match. He will overthrow sin and evil. Oh, yes, friends, there is hope ahead. There is great hope ahead. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the sadness of a dying Lord, of a sinful and suffering world. But it also reminds us of a risen Savior who conquered death and hell and who promised a coming new and amazing world. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, we remember the hope that is ahead. He's returning again. How do we honor Christ through the Lord's Supper? We saw first, we we honor Christ. We honor Him by focusing on His sacrifice, by, by focusing on His return. How else do we honor Christ? Let's look in verses 27 through 32 as we think about this question. Now in verse 27, Paul connects what he's just said to what he's about to say. He says, therefore, or, or so then. And so basically Paul's saying here, because the Lord's Supper is of such great importance because it's a focus on the death of Jesus, on his sacrifice, and because he himself instituted it. When we take the supper, we do so recognizing the gravity of what we're doing. We recognize this is serious business. You see, Paul says that whoever observes the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner is guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. What does this mean? Well, up in verse 22, Paul had rebuked, we've already mentioned this, some of the Corinthians for being selfish and unloving in in the meal that they had together. Thus, to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner is to hold on to sin. Whatever the sin is, you, you, you name it. Whatever the sin is, to take the Lord's Supper and to be holding on to sin instead of seeking to repent and to get forgiveness, to get right with the Lord, is to take the Lord's Supper in a manner that's unworthy in a way that that demeans Christ. So when we take the Lord's Supper, if there's sin in our heart and in our lives, we do so with brokenness. We do so coming before the Lord, seeking His forgiveness, repenting of our sins. To do any other would be to profane the cross, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. Now in verse 28, Paul urges the Corinthians to examine themselves to, to, to ask the Lord to search their hearts. So before we observe the Lord's Supper, we do the same. We ask the Lord to search our hearts. We, we seek forgiveness. You see, the Lord's Supper is a reminder of how awful sin is. It's a reminder of how terrible sin is when we consider the sacrifice that Christ paid so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be rescued. It's a reminder that sin is always always, always awful and ugly and terrible. We may try to play games with sin. We may try to make it small and little and, oh, it's nonchalant. But from God's perspective, a God who's completely holy and completely pure, it's never little. In fact, it cost him so much that his son gave his life. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the horrors of sin. And that any sin... Even the sins that we try to call respectable sins, even the sins that we try to call little sins, that any sin is a terrible affront against our Lord who gave his life. So the Lord's Supper should call us to self-examination before the Lord. In verse 29, Paul says, whoever takes the Lord's Supper must recognize the sacrifice that Christ made in, in giving up his body. 
Christ's sacrifice was, was meant to create a body of believers who lived selfless lives, who lived lives of sacrifice. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we recognize the body that, that was nailed to the tree, but we also recognize that out of that sacrifice, God intended for a body of believers to come together. Ephesians, Paul calls the church in Ephesians the body of Christ. Paul intends for a body of Christ to come together who selflessly love each other, who sacrifice for one another. Paul says clearly to take the Lord's Supper without regard for Christ's sacrifice is to place oneself under the discipline of God. The discipline of God. Christ's bloody death is no joke. It's no trivial matter. To take the Lord's Supper with an arrogant heart, to take the Lord's Supper with a flippant attitude. Well, this is to invite God's judgment if we belong to Him. What does Paul say in verse 30? There are many who are in the Corinthian church who are sick for this very thing. And some have fallen asleep. This is a euphemism for saying that some are dead. We need to hear this. Think about this. Verse 30, what's Paul saying? Some of you are sick because you've taken the Lord's Supper as if it meant nothing. And some have died. What does this tell us? It tells us that this is no joke to the Lord. When when we take the Lord's Supper, it's of incredible seriousness. And once again, it reminds us that we do not take our sin lightly. It's never small from the perspective of the Lord. In verse 31, if the Corinthians would take the opportunity to repent of their sin and and to seek forgiveness and to make things right, then they wouldn't experience the judgment of God. This is a reminder that that God isn't out to, to crush us. He's not out to try to destroy us. God's out to redeem us, to shape us and to change us. Once we're saved, what's God's project in our lives? What does he do? He continues working in our lives that we might become more and more like him. If God brings judgment into the life of the believer, the purpose of that judgment is redemptive. It's discipline like an earthly father, as Hebrews 12 would say, would discipline his son because of his love for his son. That's what God does in our lives. But here, Paul's inviting the Corinthians to get things right so they don't need the discipline of God, so they don't need his judgment. He's inviting them to to clear their account with the Lord. To, to get on the right track. And he says, God's judging you so that you don't find yourself in the same condition of those who are of the world. In other words, of those who are apart from Christ, who do not know him. What is the future, the path for those who are without Christ? Well, the scriptures are clear. What does Paul say here? They'll be condemned. Those who have refused to submit to Christ here on earth, will get for all eternity what they demanded here on earth. And that's eternity apart from God. But it's a horrible place. It's a place called hell. Paul says, God disciplines you so that you don't find yourself on that path, living the kind of life that those who don't know God live. So how do we honor Christ through the Lord's Supper? We saw first, we reflect on the sacrifice of Christ and on His return. But as we look at verses 27 through 32, 
Examine your heart. Examine your heart. Don't you hate it when you're trying to get some kind of work done and your computer begins to give you trouble? Maybe it freezes up or it's just going ultra slow. It's so annoying when that happens and it turns out it almost always happens when you're against the wall. You've got something you need to get done. And then the computer decides to to do what they do so well. Well, one of the first strategies you try is to reboot the thing. You, you turn it off and you restart it. And Because sometimes rebooting it will sort of fix what the issue is and give the, the computer a chance to kind of get its bearings again. And in some ways, the Lord's Supper is like that for us. It's a chance for us to, to reboot. It's a chance for us to kind of examine the direction of our lives and say, you know what, am I, am I, have I wandered off the path a bit? Have I made other things more important than my Lord? Am I allowing sin into my life and trying to justify it and minimalize it? Trying to say, well, this is little, it's not a big deal. I, I don't have time to, to be in prayer and in the Bible. I've got a lot of time for, for social media or for this or for that hobby, but I, I just can't, I can't make time to, to be with the Lord. Can't make time to meet with his people, to gather. I mean, we've got this in our family, we've got that in our family. What's the Lord's Supper meant to do? The Lord's Supper's meant to give us a fresh start, to give us a reboot, to give us an opportunity to say, hey, I gotta get back on track. I gotta make first things, first things. I gotta make my love for Christ. I want that to be the driving factor of my life. And so the Lord's Supper helps us get going in the right direction. So this morning, I urge you, as I will do myself, ask the Lord to search your heart. Are you living a double life? You're you're here on a Sunday, but then on Monday you, you live however you want? Well, this morning the Lord's saying to you, it's time for a change. He's not saying that in a harsh way. He's inviting you to the grace and the mercy of of repentance. Words from the Lord that are hard are always words of mercy. They're invitations to find forgiveness. They're invitations to get on the right track, to find redemption, to find rescue. We're never on our own in this. God always helps us when we cry out to Him, when we want to turn to Him. He enables us to to follow Him. I can't be obedient to God on my own strength. You can't either, friend. We need the Spirit to help us. But when we call out to God with that kind of heart, the Spirit will help us. The gospel reminds us that the power that conquered death is at work in our own lives, enabling us to walk away from sin and to follow Him. So ask the Lord to show you your sin. Ask the Lord to forgive you, to help you repent. Maybe this morning for some, maybe it's going to be a U-turn and you get your life headed back in the direction that you ought to be going. Praise God. That would be great. That would be beautiful. But friends, we need to say clearly that casually or flippantly taking the Lord's Supper invites God's discipline into the life of, of a believer. So let's get our hearts right before we take the Lord's Supper. How do we honor Christ through the Lord's Supper? We've seen first that we reflect on the awesome sacrifice of Christ and his return. Second, that that we examine our hearts. How else? Let's look in verses 33 
and 34. In verse 33, Paul tells the Corinthian church to welcome one another. So what we see is the Lord's Supper ought to strengthen relationships. They ought to be kind to one another. The Lord's Supper is meant to help us be unified. We don't have the time to flesh that out biblically, but if you go back into 1 Corinthians 10 and earlier in chapter 11, you'll you'll see this as well. Now in verse 34, Paul says that if somebody's hungry, that person ought to eat before they come. Now again, this is going back to the meal that they had before they observed the Lord's Supper. He says, if you're going to go to that meal and you're hungry and you got a big appetite, why don't you eat at home? That way you're not going to be tempted to disregard other people and to, to eat up all the food. So what's he saying? When the church comes together and observes the, the Lord's Supper, it's meant to build unity within the church. It's meant to strengthen the church's unity, not harm it. So how else, how else do you stand firm together from verses 33 and 34? You build unity within the church. You build unity within the church. If you see a brick building, you recognize that somebody laid the foundation. And brick by brick by brick, you recognize that somebody made the effort to put that building together. It didn't just happen. It it was intentional. It required work. And similarly, unity within the church doesn't just happen. We must work at it. We must strive for unity. It takes effort and work. It takes each of us pouring our lives into the church and building relationships with each other. And that takes time. How can a church be strong unless we actually give the time that it takes to know people? How can we be unified if we hardly know anyone in the church? It takes effort to guard against division and trouble. Brick by brick, these things have to, be, have to be put together. We have to build relationships. We have to guard against unity and division. We have to, to kindly rebuke a brother or sister who's, who's just spreading things that are not helpful. We have to remind a brother or sister who says, Hey, did you know such and such and such and such? That the scripture says, Hey, go to that person directly. We have to work at unity. We have to work to build unity. And the Lord's Supper always reminds us that this effort is critical, that we must be unified, that we must be unified around the gospel, that we must be committed to the gospel and unified around the gospel. So let's think about how this truth works out in our lives a bit. You see, the Lord's Supper points to the New Testament reality that God expects every believer to belong to a local church. The the Lord's Supper points to this New Testament reality. We see it all throughout the New Testament. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the church. It's not something that I do with my family and say, hey, we're going to gather around the table and take the Lord's Supper together. Why do we not do that? Because the context of the observation of the Lord's Supper is first when Jesus is alive before the church has come into being. It's with his disciples who would later become the church. And then we see it played out in the earliest days of the church. We see it observed in the context of the local church with instructions given about how it should be carried out in the context of the church. What does this point to? It points to the reality that God expects every person who is in Christ, who knows him, who's a part of what we might call the universal church, That is, all people who are believers. He expects each person who's a part of the universal church to likewise be a part of a local church. A local church where the Lord's Supper is faithfully carried out. Part of the rich symbolism 
that we see in the Lord's Supper is meant to illustrate the importance of being a part of the body of Christ and being unified as the body of Christ. So within the local church, the Lord's Supper is to be faithfully observed. This morning, as we observe the Lord's Supper, I want you to ask yourself how you can help to strengthen the unity of our church. Do you need to make things right with another believer? Do you need to be willing to make more time so that you can get to know people and build relationships within a a Sunday school class or a small group or, or something? Ask yourself, are you seeking to selflessly serve others and put the needs of others ahead of yourselves? May the Lord's Supper be a reminder to us that he intends for us to be one, unified as a gospel community. So build unity within the church. I remember one summer, I was probably about 17, my uncle and his family had come to visit us from Alabama. My mom had cooked an incredible breakfast, bacon, eggs, biscuits, gravy, you name it. It was good. There were several of us eating, and so the younger those of us who were younger were sitting at the table. The, the adults were sitting over at the bar, and my dad was, was sitting over at the bar, and apparently he had forgotten to, to get a biscuit. And so he said, hey, Lonnie, toss me a biscuit. Well, that was probably not the best choice of words, but I was obedient. I did exactly what he said to do. Now, I think he probably meant for me to get up and bring him a biscuit, but I took him literally, and I tossed him a biscuit. When I threw that biscuit, my mom got up from the bar and she walked over to me. And I'll stop there, but I want you to know it was not pretty. (laughs) And I have never thrown a biscuit since, I can assure you. (laughs) And I learned something. Throwing food is inappropriate, and especially at the table. Now, I was 17. I should have already known that. But (laughs) friends... I want you to know something. It is entirely possible for us to approach something as sacred and beautiful as the Lord's Supper in a completely unacceptable manner. To go through the motions and to observe the Lord's Supper just sort of in a rote way would be to do that. To go through the Lord's Supper holding on to sin and treasuring sin in our hearts would be to do that. This morning... Let's not make the mistake. And I don't mean the mistake of improper manners at the table, but I mean the mistake of making light of our Lord who gave his life, who sacrificed his life, who poured out his blood. Let's not make the mistake of making that small, of observing this time in a way that's disrespectful of him, in a way that's profane. So we seek to honor Christ in observing the Lord's Supper. We do that by reflecting on a sacrifice. We do that by examining our hearts. We do that by building unity within the church. So believers, this morning, let's get right with the Lord. Whatever it is you need to do, I I urge you to to do that. In just a moment, we'll, we'll sing a song of invitation. And this is the perfect time for you in the quietness of where you're at to just pray to God and say to God, search my heart. Is there some way in my life that I need to change? Is there something in my life that's out of order? You could could come. The altar will be open. You could come and pray pray here. Whatever the Lord is, is speaking to you about, 
Whatever the Lord is prompting you about, I urge you to respond in obedience. Let's take this time and let's ask him to search your hearts. It may be that some of you this morning are going to have the wonderful joy of getting your life back on track with Jesus. Oh, that'd be so incredible. And for others who are on track with Jesus, let the Lord's Supper be a reminder of his faithfulness and of his return and be encouraged as we worship him. Now, some of you who are here today, you've never trusted in Christ. You've never turned to him. You see the Lord's Supper, well, it's meant to teach you about the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, that he was buried, that he came back to life. And that because of the life that he lived, your sins can be forgiven. What do you do to be saved? What do you do to to begin a relationship with Christ? You turn from your sin and you call out to him in faith. You say to him, please forgive me. I believe in you and I want to follow you. And the Bible says that when you call out to him like that, he will save you and he will hold you. He'll never, ever let you go. If you call out to him in faith, he'll save you for all eternity. Even if you fumble the ball, friend, he'll never drop you. He'll never let go. Today, there are some here who desperately need to turn from their sin and call out to Jesus and be saved. And I plead with you, would you do that? In just a moment, we'll have a time of response. I'll be up here. Ralph Huerta will be up here. We would love to visit with you after the service. I'll be around. I I would plead with you, do not leave here today without a relationship with Christ. Talk with me. Talk with another mature believer that you know. The worst mistake that you could make would be to hear the gospel and say, no, you may not have another chance. Join me in prayer.